copy of the Scriptures, and let's open our Bibles to James chapter 1, verse 1. Last week we considered what I would call the 1A, which is James, a servant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ. That was our focus last Lord's Day. Today our focus is on 1B, and that is to the twelve tribes in the dispersion, greetings. So that's what we want to look at today. We want to consider the audience. Now, before we before we engage in that, just a moment of review from from last Lord. That James is a uh, defined as a general epistle. Now, what does that mean? Okay. Yeah, just any given church. Uh, so James is defined as a general epistle, probably written as early as AD 45 to 47, making it one of, if not the earliest New Testament book. James, the Proverbs of the New Testament, is a very practical book that addresses the believer's suffering, poverty, and patience. Also, it confronts one's speech, one's wealth, and one's pride. More than half of the 108 verses in James are commands. They are imperatives. So over half the verses in this book are commands on how we should live. That's pretty impressive. That's, there's no other book that does that that I'm, that I'm aware of. So in our previous lesson, we concluded that James, the brother of our Lord Jesus Christ, is the author of the letter of James. Because there were four Jameses, and we went through that, and we came down to James, the brother of our Lord, as the author. He does not identify himself as the Lord's brother, but our Lord's, ser- our Lord's servant, Doulos. And thankfully, that was pointed out to me last week, I had dropped an upsilon, and I figured out where the upsilon went. That's a U. I, I had figured out where it went, and my word perfect, my process, we're processing from the, copying it from the Greek and the Logos and dropping it into the word processor, it dropped the U. And the reason it did was because I think it had diacritical markings over it giving you the right way to say it, and for some reason it just wouldn't pick it up. So your doulos in your notes from last week was not spelled correctly. It needs a U in it. Uh, so thank you, Drew. Uh, also, we considered a, a believer's primary and eternal relationship with other believers. So turn to uh, Mark chapter 7 for just a moment. don't want to get lost in this, but there are some things I think we ought to pick up on and, and uh maybe clarified, make further points, and then also stress again. Mark chapter 7. Um, verses 9 through 13. And He said to them, this is Jesus, you have a fine way of rejecting the commandment of God in order to establish your tradition. For Moses said, Honor your father and your mother, and whoever reviles father or mother must surely die. But you say, If a man tells his father or his mother, Whatever you would have gained from me is Corban, that is, given to God, then you no longer permit him to do anything for his father or mother, thus making void the word of God by your tradition that you have handed down, and many such things you do. Now, I want to come back in just a moment and emphasize again the spiritual relation, family relation that we have in Christ. 
and how that is the predominant relationship. But there have been situations in church history where there's been neglect of family, and that's wrong. So we weren't talking about the abuse. We're talking about uh, a neglect here. But uh, Christ dealt with that in His day. There's That still goes on today. In fact, there's a, a book I think that's been used here before called Good Christians, Good Husband, Husbands by Doreen Moore. And it takes the life of three um, notable Christian pastors, Charles Wesley, uh, George Whitfield, and Jonathan Edwards. And it shows how Wesley really, really neglected his wife, really neglected his family, and how that was wrong. Whitfield was a little better, but he wasn't that great. But for a real paradigm uh, in the book, they go to Jonathan Edwards, who was a good pastor, a good father, a good husband, a good scholar, a good Christian, and he really kind of sets the paradigm. If you never read that book, I certainly encourage you to read that book. Good, good husbands, excuse me, good Christians, good husbands, brother Ryan. I forget what chapter it is, but our confession on lawful oaths and vows. Yes. It, um, it teaches against the Roman Catholic conception of the vows of celibacy and poverty and higher obedience, which yeah. lead to a neglect of the whole. Yeah. And so, go to our confession. That would be a good resource. So, our point last Lord's Day was not on the neglect of family. That's wrong. But we were trying to underscore what is the essential eternal relationship. Let me ask you a couple of questions. So, a, a woman is married. She becomes a believer. And her husband's an unbeliever. And her husband says, you can't go to church. What's she to do? Lynn says obey God rather than men. Anybody else? Well, I mean, it's addressed, you know. But I guess maybe that's talking about Christian couples. Wives love love your husband, okay? But as to unto the Lord. So he doesn't have spiritual authority over her because he has not. They're not unified. They're not equally young. Okay. Well, what would we say if that same command came through and it came from the government and said the women can't go to church? Married women can't go to church. How would you respond to that? Laws of man don't necessarily right, supersede we, laws of God. But we have Romans 13 that tells me to be submissive. Proper, proper spheres. Proper spheres. Brother Drew, you were going to say? So, so the believer would be obedient to the Lord? Um, next question. So you have, this is what we were talking about last week, the point we were trying to make. I talked last week about family reunions when I was growing up. A lot of folks had them on the Lord's Day. We, we never did because there were three preachers in my dad's family. It was always on Saturday, and I always thought it was strange, even as a boy, that people would take God's Day, the Lord's Day, for that. I'm going, supposed to be with your Christian family. 
so on that line, so, uh, and I'm not pointing to us as a paradigm of this. I'm sure many of you do the same thing. So you got company. Your children are coming in. Your grandkids are coming in. It's Sunday morning. What are you going to do? You going to stay home? Or are you going to say, you're welcome to go to church with us. We, we worship the Lord. We go to church. Please come go with us. If they do, going to do. Okay. So that, that's what we were talking about last week. Not the neglect. Not using commands of, or be abusive to my wife or my children or any such thing like that. Okay? So let's move on today to James 1. And like I said earlier, I don't really think we'll get through this lesson today. I'm not, <clears throat> I'm not in a speed race. So we'll get to where we get. And that's where we'll stop. And then we'll, we'll pick up again. Lord willing, next Lord's Day. So what we want to look at today is to the second part of verse 1, the audience that James is addressing to the 12 tribes in the dispersion. Greetings. Okay. Who are the 12 tribes? 12 tribes of Israel. <clears throat> so historically, the 12 tribes refer to the, to the descendants of the twelve sons of Jacob, and from those twelve sons come the twelve tribes, which originally, which originally, which eventually will be formed at Mount Sinai into the nation of Israel. Prior to that, it's just a loose federation. You got tribes, but at Sinai, God gives not only moral law; He gives religion. Um, he gives uh, judicial laws. These are things that you need to have a nation. And so Israel's really formed into a nation at Mount Sinai. So what becomes Israel comes from the 12 sons of Jacob. Douglas Moo, in his uh, commentary on James, writes that the 12 tribes, quote, reflects the historical origins of Israel made up originally of the people descended from the 12 patriarchs. Now, Again, we were discussing a little bit this prior to the Bible study today. You have different lists in the Bible of these 12 children, 12 sons. And sometimes it can be a little confusing. Some, some will mention Manasseh, some will not. Uh, what was the other one, Drew, you mentioned? Uh, Revelation drops Dan and mentions Manasseh. Okay, drops Dan and mentions Manasseh. Others drop Manasseh. Um, so it can be a little confusing. I'm going to Numbers chapter 13 right now if you want to reference this. And the first 15 verses, and I'll not read all these verses, but I want to just, I'll list uh, the, the, the 12 sons of Jacob whose God, God changed his name to Israel. Thus he's called the 12 tribes of Israel because they come from Jacob. And here are the ones that are mentioned in Numbers 13. <clears throat> Excuse me. And this is when they're sending out people to spy the land and they're choosing a chief uh, from each of the 12 tribes. And so it's from uh, the tribe of Reuben, from the tribe of Simeon, from the tribe of Judah, from the tribe of Issachar, from the tribe of Ephraim, from the tribe of Benjamin, from the tribe of Zebulun, from the tribe of Joseph. And then I think there's a parenthetical reference it says that is from the tribe of Manasseh, from the tribe of Dan, from the tribe of Asher, and from the tribe of Nephtali, and from the tribe of Gad. So there mentions the 12 sons of Israel, and they now are called tribes from the tribe of, and he mentions the 12. 
So historically, the 12 tribes are the descendants of the 12 sons of, of uh, Jacob. Second question, so we have to the 12 tribes, then we have in the dispersion. What's the dispersion? Again, historically, our question, our questions ask here, historically, what is the dispersion? And historically, due to the Assyrians and the Babylonians, the children of Israel, the children of the 12 tribes, are conquered and then they are moved. They're, they're, they're relocated. And uh, that happened through the Assyrians and it happened through the Babylonians. You read the book of Daniel. Where's Daniel? Why is he there? He just decided he's moved. He's moved there. Yeah, and Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Why are they there? Because the practice was to take the best of a country that you conquered and relocate those people, use them, and and also not only would they be of use in this new country that had captured them, but it also would cut down on rebellion. Because now you're a long, long ways from home, and and it just would disorient you and change your your thought. Well, at least that was that was the idea behind it. So, I'm quoting from Curtis Vaughn, and if you would turn your Bible to John 7:35, I'll give you the quote. John 7:35. Vaughn writes that dispersion, the word dispersion was a technical term used for Jews who were scattered over the Gentile world outside Palestine. So, historically, technically, the dispersion, the diaspora, describes descendants of Jacob of the twelve tribes who are outside. John 7.35, who has that? Drew? So the word there, dispersion, is used in that very historical, technical way. Is Jesus leaving Palestine? Is He going out to these uh, descendants of Jacob scattered outside of Palestine? Okay. Next, I want to notice with you what we'll call the Jewish qualities of, um, of James. Flipping back to the book of James, notice in your Bible in chapter 2, verse 2, where it says that they are worshiping. It doesn't come through here in the English so much as it does in the Greek, but uh, verse 2 reads, For if a man wearing a gold ring and fine clothing comes into your assembly, the word there is synagogue. If one comes into your synagogue, that's the Jewish place of worship. And so, that's the language that's used in James 2. Um, Look at uh, James 2, verse 19, and here is a very clear reference to Deuteronomy chapter 6, verse 4. 2.19 is, you believe that God is one, you do well. Well, Deuteronomy 6.4, Israel is a monotheistic religion. In Deuteronomy uh, 6.4, we read, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. So 
This is, that language is being picked up on by James in this book. Israel's monotheistic. The Lord our God is one. Then if you look in chapter 2, verse 21, uh, Abraham is called our father. Was not Abraham our father? Well, usually when we think historically, technically, Abraham is the father of Israel, the children of Israel, of the, of the twelve tribes. Um, I had some passages down here. I'll just give them to you. If you want to jot them down, you may. Genesis 12, 1 through 3, Abraham is the founding father of ethnic Israel. Uh, father Abraham was a standard way of identifying Israel or Jews. Psalm 105, verse 6. Jeremiah 33, 26. John 8, 33. John 8, 39. One other reference. Uh, James chapter 5, verse 4 have a Old Testament given to us in 5.4. Of the laborers who mowed your fields which you kept back by fraud are crying out against you. And the cries of the harvester have reached the ears of the Lord of hosts, Lord Sabaoth. Uh, we sing that in a mighty fortress is our God. Lord Sabaoth is His name. The Lord of hosts. And that is very much a Jewish title uh, using the Old Testament for God. And then, as you read James, there is an absence of a Christian salutation. How does Romans begin? How does Ephesians begin? How does Colossians begin? They, most all of them begin with some sort of grace unto you from our Lord and Savior salutation. James doesn't have that. How does 1 Corinthians or how does uh, Galatians or how does Colossians end? end with a Christian benediction? The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you or something of that, something of that nature. James doesn't have that. There is no Christian salutation. There is no Christian benediction. Opening the book and closing the book. So those things are absent. So let's answer questions uh, two and three uh, on, your, on your notes now get to them. I think I've got them here. So question two is historically identify the 12 tribes in the dispersion. We've done it, but go ahead. Go ahead. Go ahead, brother. Reuben, Simeon, Levi, Judah, Zebulun, Issachar, Dan, Asher, Naphtali, Gad, Joseph, So historically the 12 tribes, that's what they're named. And they're the sons of Jacob, who God named Israel. Historically, what is the dispersion? Technically, historically, what is the dispersion? Okay. Okay. And and it describes those Jews that lived outside of Palestine. And Palestine's a very small area. You could look. I don't know if it's on your map or not. I gave you, but you, it's a very small area. And so it's Jews living outside of that area. It's Jews of the dispersion. So that's our that's our questions uh, answer to questions two and three. Now, <clears throat> that brings me to some questions of consideration, and we'll see how many of these we can get in today. <clears throat> so, having said all that, look, looking at our text and what might be called a historical grammatical hermeneutic, I would conclude that 
The 12 tribes are the descendants, the physical descendants of Jacob. The dispersion describes that area where Jews lived outside of Palestine. Question is, am I to interpret James 1b literally or redemptively, we might say spiritually? How am I to interpret James 1b to the 12 tribes of Israel of the dispersion, to the 12 tribes of the dispersion? So the question we have before us is, Am I to interpret literally or spiritually? Is James addressing ethnic Israel of the dispersion? Is he addressing physical descendants of Jacob who live outside Palestine? Is that who he is addressing? If yes, if I answer that question yes, is James addressing non-Christian Jews? Or is he addressing Christian Jews? Or is he addressing both, non-Christian and Christian Jews? Who is he addressing? Now turn to Acts chapter 8. Pastor Tyler, if you would read for us, please, uh, verses 1 through 4 of Acts 8. And the question is, does Acts 8, 1 through 4 shed light on James 1b? Acts 8, verses 1 through 4, And Saul approved of his execution, and there arose on that day a great persecution against the church in Jerusalem, and they were all scattered throughout, throughout the regions of Judea and Samaria, except the apostles. Devout men buried Stephen and made great lamentation over him. But Saul was ravaging the church and entering house after house. He dragged off men and women and committed them to prison. Now those who were scattered went about preaching the word. So here we have a dispersion. The diaspora. And the diaspora here is... We would say primarily of Jews, but it's of those of the church at Jerusalem when persecution arises and they're scattered out. And they go out gospeling the Word of God. They go out to all different areas. Again, you can begin to look at your map if you want to. I provide it for you and it'll list some of the places on there where, where they go. So, is James writing to Jewish Christians of the diaspora that's caused by the persecution of the church of Saul of Tarsus. He persecutes the church. And because of his persecution, because of the death of Stephen, disciples flee Jerusalem. Except the apostles, they stay. Is that who James is addressing? They certainly are Jews of the, of the diaspora. That's John. I think uh, chapter 2, verse 1 makes that clear. Okay. He talks about their faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. Well, hang on to that thought. Well, looking at Acts 8, we could say that's certainly a satisfying answer when I look at 1b. That he, that, uh, excuse me, James is addressing believing Jews that are scattered out from the persecution in Jerusalem in Acts 8. Brother Ryan? The account of Pentecost makes clear that there's also Gentile converts to Judaism present. That's right. So, whether you want to call them the Jews yeah. or not ethnically Jews. Okay. So that brings us to another point. How does the New Testament define Abraham's descendants? Does the New Testament define Abraham's descendants very narrowly as the children of the 12 
tribes of Israel? Or does it define the descendants of Abraham in a larger, broader way? But Josh. That's right. So for those that, and for our uh, Facebook, for those that didn't hear, Brother Josh is saying that the Bible has defined the descendants of Abraham not by blood uh, relation to Abraham, but rather by faith. That's the way they've been defined. Uh, So to that point, let's look at Romans uh, chapter 4, verses 11 through 12. Romans 4, verses 11 through 12. Um, Brother Ryan, would you read that for us, please? And also, we want to go to Galatians chapter 3, verses 7 through 9. Pastor John, would you take that for us, please, in a moment? But let's go to Romans uh, 4, verses 11 through 12. The question we are considering is who are Abraham's descendants? How are they described in the New Testament? Not only in the New Testament, as Josh pointed out, but that's where we're going to look right now, Brother Ryan. He received the sign of circumcision as a seal of the righteousness that he had by faith while he was still uncircumcised. The purpose was to make him the father of all who believed without being circumcised so that righteousness would be counted to them as well. And to make him the father of the circumcised who were not merely circumcised but who also walked in the footsteps of the faith that our father Abraham had before he was circumcised. So what's being said? What are the two groups in this passage? Gentiles and, and uh, descendants, the uh, physical descendants of Abraham. But what does he say is true of them? He says both Gentile and Jewish people, if they're of faith, Abraham is their father. That's what he says. All right, let's go to Galatians uh, chapter 4. Excuse me. Chapter 3, verses 7 through 9. Pastor John. Know then that it is those of faith who are the sons of Abraham, and the scripture of my faith preach the gospel. You shall all the nations be blessed. So then those who are of faith are blessed along with Abraham, the man of faith. So this is saying what Brother Josh was saying a minute ago, that the children of Abraham are counted by faith. No matter whether it's Old Testament or New, but they're counted by faith, not by uh, natural descendancy from Abraham, Jacob, and, the, and on to the twelve tribes. Uh, let's look then at the offspring of Abraham. Is also identified for us in a very singular way. Look at Galatians three, since you're there, verse sixteen, and also when we look at Hebrews two, sixteen. Um, Well, Samuel, would you take uh, Hebrews 2.16, please? And I'll take uh, Galatians 3.16. Galatians 3.16. Now the promises were made to Abraham 
And this is referring to Old Testament covenant promises uh, to Abraham. Now, the promises were made to Abraham and to his offspring. It does not say into offsprings, referring to many, but to one, and to your offspring, who is Christ. The fulfillment of all these promises are in Christ. And those who are in Christ have Abraham as their father. Uh, Samuel, uh, Hebrews 2.16. Who's being called the offspring of Abraham here? Hebrews 2.16. Jesus. Jesus. So it's the, the angels he's talking about that came to minister. They're not just for descendants, physical descendants, but it's for the offspring, Jesus Christ. That's who it's for. Okay. So does, uh, now to Pastor John's point a minute ago, does James identify his audience? Yes, he does. Let's look in. Does he identify them as Christians more particularly? Yes, he does. Let's begin with James uh, 1.18. And Pastor John, I believe you said... Two, chapter 2, verse 1. Okay. So would you take that? Would you read also James 1.18 and 2.1, please? General address, but how does how does one enter the family of God? Regeneration, and that's what he says. And now to two one, excuse me, yeah, two one. My brothers, show no partiality as you hold the faith in our Lord Jesus Christ, the Lord of glory. He's writing to people who hold the faith of Christ, and that's called who? Christians. Now, does that include Jewish and non-Jewish? Well, sure. But the point is, it's addressed to Christians. Let's go over to James chapter 5 for just a moment. I've already pointed out to you about that language. And, and so we, we tend to think immediately, we tend to think, okay, that's James 5 for a moment, verses 7 through 9. What is the person, um, make sure I got the right passage here. That's not it. Actually, it's 17 through 19. Uh, what is a person. Uh, who is sick to do? Call the elders. Call the elders. Um, elders of what? The church. The assembly. Of the church. And he's So, and, and it and, uh, could be used of a Jewish assembly, but it's used also specifically, well, very particularly of the church of the Lord Jesus Christ. Verse 14 Is anyone among you sick? Let him call for the elders of the church, of the ecclesia. And let them pray over him, anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord. So, yeah, I have Jewish aspects of the book, but I also have very much Christian aspects of the book. So, this brings us to a question that we will probably close on today. Should we define Christians by ethnicity? Is that a healthy thing to do? Are Christians Jewish Christians, Gentile Christians, Russian Christians, Korean Christians, black Christians, white Christians, yellow Christians? Is that the way we should go about identifying someone? 
Look at Acts chapter 11 for just a moment. Acts 11, kind of a long reading. Uh, who wants to read this for us? You'll make me call on you. Huh? Lynn? Okay, Lynn, read for us. Acts 11, uh, 19 through 30. So who were called, who were first called Christians? Who did that involve? Jewish and Greek Christians. But what they're called are Christians. Now go to Ephesians chapter 2. The commonality is found in Christ and going back to last Lord's Day in our lesson then, what is of primary importance was not their physical relationship, but their spiritual relationship. And even those in Antioch, when they heard of the famine that's coming through the prophet Agabus, they start gathering relief to send where? To the brothers, to the brothers, where? In Judea. Okay, now we go to Ephesians chapter 2, verses 18 through 22. For through Him, that is through Christ, we both have access in one Spirit to the Father. Now, who is the both here? Jew and Gentile. Christians. For we both, through Him, have access in one Spirit to the Father, so then, you are no longer strangers and aliens. Who's he talking to? Gentiles. So you're no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God. 
built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets. Last Lord's Day, Pastor John mentioned about the laying of the foundation of the temple and that in through the twelve apostles. Here it is. This is who we are. We're built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Christ Jesus Himself being the cornerstone in whom the whole structure being joined together grows into a holy temple in the Lord. In Him you also are being built together in a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. Jew or Gentile, it's not the, not the pressing point here. It's faith in Christ and believers together are being built up into this holy... And then we draw six. Mystery. The mystery is that the Gentiles are fellow heirs, members of the same body, and partakers of through the Gospel. So in Christ, what's called that middle wall of partition that separated is torn down. And so it's not that I've got Abraham as my ethnic father. No. It's that Abraham is the father of all who have faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, I've got to put a peg in it there for today, but uh, Lord willing, we'll pick up at 1 Peter asking the question, how does 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 1 and 2 shed light on James for us? Okay, any questions or comments as we... All right, well, let's uh, have our... And uh, ask the Lord to bless for our time of corporate worship. Brother Josh, would you close us with prayer, please?